Hello, my name is Beverly Mahone, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in to Silence is Not Golden, a conversation about racism in America. Once again, I am joined by panelists who represent various regions of the country who are all coming together to discuss their views on the topic. So we're going to start out by introducing who's on the call today, and we'll start with Patricia. Oh, hello. I'm Pat Murray. Um, I, I'm originally from Chicago. I'm living in Durham, North Carolina now. Uh, I'm a journalist. I, I publish the Durham Skywriter online community paper. And I'm also DJ Pity Pat. I play music. All right. Thank you. Victoria? Vicki. Hi. Vicki is fine. I'm Victoria Noe. I'm a writer, a public speaker, and activist in the AIDS community. And I live in Chicago, in the city, not the suburbs. Michael? Hi, my name is Michael Hall. Michael Hall, Charlotte, North Carolina. I was born in Sierra Leone. And I, I am a retired project manager, but I am also an artist. Lonnie? Yes, my name is Lonnie Massengill, originally from Canton, Ohio. Resided in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm an ordained minister and I'm now a voter activist right now, uh, getting people registered, convincing people to vote and everything. So that's who I am. Brooks? Hi, my name is Brooks Bays. Uh, my family is from Texas, but I've lived in Honolulu for the last 40 years, except for five years when I lived with my now late partner in um, Arizona. I'm a technical illustrator at the University of Hawaii. And last but not least, Jeb. Hi, I'm Jeb Buffington, originally from Rockport, Maine. Uh, I lived overseas in France for many years, came back recently, and now live in uh, Western North Carolina. I work for the NAACP, uh, the local chapter on their communications, um, and I do some political consulting with other folks as well. All right, thank you very much. As you can see, the panelists today represent a diverse part of the United States. I might add that Michael, Lonnie, and I are all from the same hometown, and that is how we are connected. So we're going to just jump right into this because you know what? It seems like every time we do these calls, so much has happened, and there's just so much to talk about. Um, but I'd like to start off with a poll that I read uh, just the other day. Uh, it was a poll by the um, economists um, um, partnering with um, yougov.org. And the poll asked random folks, you know, what they thought about this and that. And one of the questions that stood out to me was how people felt race relations would be in the next 10 years. Do you think race relations will get better, stay the same, or get worse? And what surprised me about that is only 38% of white people said they thought it was going to get better in 10 years. Uh, so help me with this one. Jeb, why only 38%? 10 years from now, where, where do you see us? You know, I, I didn't. I didn't know that poll. I hadn't seen that poll. I hadn't heard about it since you just said it. And I'm shocked. I'm as shocked as you are. Um, it's really disappointing 
to hear that. Um, and I don't, I can't begin to explain why, uh, you know, obviously I can't be objective. I'm involved. Um, we're all involved. Um, so I, I have, I have no explanation. I find that really, uh, it just makes me terribly sad to hear that because I think things are going to have to get better. Uh, we're communicating with each other. We're trying to understand what's happening. And yeah, there's going to be some negative reaction from the reactionaries, but we're going to make progress. It just, it, uh, I don't see it going any other way. So where do you see us in 10 years? Do you think it will get better? You think it'll stay the same or get worse? Oh, I think it's definitely, I think it's definitely going to get better. As I say, we're communicating with each other. Um, you know, Beverly, you're not the only one. I mean, you're great, but you're not the only one initiating this sort of conversation. Um, and that can only help. I think there's a, a very quiet uh, groundswell. And I think once the once we get past the election in November, um, I hope the focus, a lot of our social conversations, comes back to racism and comes off of Trump. Okay, great. Thank you, Jeb. All right, Brooks, let me ask you. Does 38% of white people saying that they don't think it's going to get better, it's actually going to get worse, surprise you? Or did you expect that that might be about right? I guess what I'd want to, uh, I'd want to see is what, what, was, what did the white people in that um, poll think the status, the situation was already? Because a lot of white people think things are fine. Why are, why are people talking about racism? You know, why, there's no racism anymore. You know, we had Obama. And so I wonder how much of it is, is that they don't think it's going to get better because I think it's fine. Because it doesn't touch them. And it's just something they see on the news. People complaining who don't have a right to complain or a need to complain. So, um, so from that standpoint, um, yeah, it's appalling that that's the number they came up with, but I wonder what else is behind those numbers because I'm a fool. I'm hopeful. I hope that things get better, um, in the next 10 years, but I'm also have been a hopeful fool for an awfully long time and things hadn't gotten a lot better. Okay, thanks. You no, know, so the arc of it is long and it's ridiculously long, but. Okay, thank you. Victoria, let me ask you the same question. Does 38% surprise you or is that about what you expect? Um, it depresses the hell out of me, but I, I'm not sure it surprises me. Um, I actually had this conversation with my daughter last week. She's 26. She lives in South Korea right now. Um, and I told her the difference that I felt between now and when I was her age was that people like George Wallace were outliers. They were not considered the mainstream. They were not the center of media focus. They were not embraced vocally by the majority of white people. That's changed. 
that kind of blatant, vocal, physical racism is no longer hidden. Well, the sheet's off. No one needs to hide under a white sheet anymore. They can say whatever they want. They can do whatever they want. And it's sanctioned at the highest level of government. And that's the difference. Now, and that depresses the hell out of me. But having said that, I, and having lived through all of this stuff myself, I think in the short term, it could get worse. In the long term, it will be better. Um, definitely in 10 years, I think it will be a lot better. In five years, it will probably be better. But I think the next six months or so, it's going to be worse. But I am, I am so heartened by not just young people, but the willingness of more white people to be vocal in their support of the black community than they were after Ferguson or after anything else that has happened. That's been helpful to me that more people are publicly declaring themselves allies and really trying in their own bumbling ways often to do better. Okay, thank you. All right, um, Osha has um, joined us now, Osha. So we're talking about a poll that came out that said over the next 10 years, uh, there only 38% of whites felt that race relations would get better. So if you will just start out by just introducing yourself where you live and then respond. Are you surprised at that number being so low or is this something that you would have expected? Um, well, first, I apologize for being late to the call and it's good to see everybody here. Bev, it's particularly good to see you. Uh, uh, my name is Osha Davidson. I live in Phoenix, Arizona. I've lived in different places across the country. Um, uh, Bev, as you know, I wrote you about this call. I wasn't, I, when you were asking about joining it, I said, my, my uh, crystal ball is always terrible. So I, if this deals with that and there are other white people and you need more white faces on the call, let somebody else who feels they have a better crystal ball um, come on. And you said, no, that's fine. So with that caveat, um, A, I don't, there, there are a few things here that I, I feel like I need to, to unpack. One is the idea of the, the term race relations. Um, I don't know what that means. And the problem that I see with it is that it means different things to different people especially to black people and white people, just in general, from what I've seen, white people tend to conflate race relations with social justice. Um, the relationship between races can be seen as something like, uh, bl are blacks and whites getting along better? I'm, although I'm interested in, interested in that at a personal level, at a social level throughout the country, I'm far less interested in that and I'm more interested in social justice. It's not whether blacks and whites are friendly, it's is there equity or uh, is the black-white health gap 
being gone? Is that eliminated? Is the wealth gap eliminated? Um, does everybody in this country, regardless of race, have equal opportunity? And is there justice across um, races? So that being said, when there's a poll that asks is, you know, 38% of, was it 38% of white people said yes. race, race relations would be better? Yes. Um, I'm not surprised by the number because I think the question is too ambiguous. So it doesn't really indicate anything to me. Um, the, the more important question to me, as I said, is in the future and how soon will there be social justice? Will, especially the wealth gap, because as you know, the work that I'm doing now mostly is on reparations, the issue of reparations as a way of closing the wealth gap, which then has downstream effects for all sorts of things. So, um, I think we're so dependent on the news cycle and current events uh, giving them way too much weight so that feeling, I know I, I, I do this, I'm guilty of this too, when there, there's mass outrage when George Floyd was killed uh, that was reflected in the papers, the mainstream media, white people were saying, oh, this is terrible. It's easy to think, okay, so we, this is a movement, but the question is always, is it a movement or a moment? And I tend to see these things cynically as being moments okay. for white people. Okay, well, let me just um, add something in there into this uh, discussion here is that 46% of Blacks said they believed race relations would get better in 10 years. So I just want to throw that little caveat out there as well. All right, so we're going to keep it moving. And let me ask you, Michael, um, does the 38% surprise you versus the 48% of Blacks who do believe that, yeah, there is some hope here. Uh, it might get better. But whites, on the other hand, don't quite see it the same way. Were you asking me that? Yes, sir. Okay. Well, I think that, that I don't know. No, I'm kind of ambivalent about, about that. I think that uh, when I talk to young uh, uh, black, I don't think that they're going to accept things that that were accepted. I think that there will there will be a change because they're going to insist on it. I don't. Um, I, I'm disappointed that just 38 percent of black uh, white people think think that uh, things will change. I think there's a large percentage of white people that I'm disappointed in that actually. Uh, want a race war, and I think that's horrible. I just think that's horrible that that we're here. But I've, I I'm encouraged by the fact that when I look at my own two children, I know that they're not going to accept certain things. They're not going to do it, and I think that this is a uh, a flute. I think that they're going to insist on change. I think we're seeing a major shift uh, in this country, and I think that. Even after the election, I don't think that uh, uh, this is going to go away. I mean, I, I think that they felt like they, the youth of today feel like they've waited long enough to be equal. 
in every sense of, 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 of the word. And I don't think that they're going to stop. I, I don't think that this is a, 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 I really think that this is a major shift in, in, in human nature in this country. Okay, thank you so much, Michael. Lonnie, what do you think? Um, Beverly, I, I'm, uh, I'm going to echo what Michael said. I am disappointed in the 38%. Now, from a spiritual point of view, in praying, I am hopeful that that number will go up, that we can have racial reconciliation, because I've been praying and talking rec racial reconciliation, Beverly, for the past five years. I prayed about it, and I prayed about it, and I prayed about it, and I am... I'm, I'm more of an optimist. I am hopeful that race relations will improve, especially after the Black Lives Matter movement that's going on. I'm seeing little. I'm seeing a little bit of racial reconciliation. Them, but they're marching, consolidating on the sports field. Even though they was booed in Kansas City, you know, during the anthem and everything, you know, and Major League Baseball is is, is a prime example. I am hopeful that even that, even with the pandemic that we're in right now, I am hopeful that that it will improve, but we must demand improval because Dr. King had a quote says, that says freedom is never easily given by the oppressor, but it must be demand by those who are oppressed. And so this is, um, we got we got a lot of work to do. We have a lot of improvement needs to be made, and it's not going to be easy. I think it's possible. Will it be eradicated? Totally. Will we have total reconciliation? No. But I want to see results, and I want to see some progress here on out, starting now. That's okay. my opinion. Thank you, Lonnie and Patricia. Pat, what do you think? Okay. Um, I'm the eternal optimist, I apologize. But um, I've seen a lot of changes in my life already. Um, I expect it to continue. I'm not surprised by the 38%, however, because where I'm from, um, when white people hear the word race, they, fe they fear, not trying to say all white people feel this way, because I know they don't. But a lot of white people who are maybe more sensitive to the notion of race, think that the recognition or mention of race is in itself racism. And they haven't learned yet the fine points of how to discuss race. So I can see 38% saying that um, um, only, you know, only 38% saying that things will get better because of the fact that many of them are probably very uncomfortable with the very notion and recognition of race. So I understand that. Um, and I'm not surprised by black people, more black people. It's kind of a low percentage though, but um, uh, the percentage of black people say things will get better. I think things will get better simply because I'm so darn old and I have seen so many things change. I mean, I remember when you had to step off the sidewalk, um, you couldn't look into their eyes. Um, you, uh, they would call you by, by the first name. Even my grandmother, when she was buried, she was, we were very insulted. The, the priest um, referred to her by her first name. We were highly insulted. We couldn't jump up in the middle of a 
funeral and correct them. So that's something we had to be used to way back when, you know, things have changed. Things are, I think they're slowly getting better. Um, and some really hip things are happening. Like on NPR, there was this, um, this really hip white lady. I'm trying to get her on my show. She was saying it's not enough just to say that you're for Black Lives Matter, et cetera, et cetera. She's teaching white folks and black folks who are interested as well and how to invest in the black community by certain mutual funds, et cetera, et cetera, how to put your money where your mouth is. And that's starting to happen as well. So I'm, I'm just, I'm the product of a kindergarten teacher and a social worker. So I, I can't help but look at the world softly and with, you know, uh, okay. you know. I got you. It's a nice thing. All right. So Lonnie brought up something and I was, I wanted to briefly talk about this before we move on to the Black Lives Matter movement and what that really is about. But uh, for those of you who watched the kickoff of the NFL between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Houston Texans, you saw during a moment of solidarity between both black and white players that the Kansas City Chiefs fans booed. Now, according to reports, there were about 15,000 fans there. But as my husband and I both thought, there could have easily been 50 to 100,000 fans because of the boos. So with that being said, is that representative of where we are in this country or does that just represent because it's Kansas City and we know that Kansas City people, white people tend to be racist. And I don't want to, you know, like call all Kansas City uh, folks uh, racist, but uh, it was surely a lot of loud boos there. So Jeb, let me um, start with you on that one. What Did you watch the game by any chance? Okay, Jeff. Uh, no, I didn't watch it. I, I was only alerted to I was only alerted to it by your uh, Facebook post, and I didn't go back and watch it. But I did, as you saw, do a little bit of research on Kansas City. Um, but it's easy to find that sort of article on racism uh, for any city in the country. I think the NFL crowd um, is more conservative. I hope it's more conservative. I love football myself, but um, I hope it, the crowd that was there that was willing to go out with COVID and all that, I think it may not be representative. I hope it's not. Um, <clears throat> I think there's still plenty of racism around and, and the, 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 the myth around what that protest is, you know, changing it from uh, protesting uh, for equal rights and for justice to an anti-anthem protest just, you know, and that was done deliberately by white people who don't want to deal with race, obviously. So I, I hope the NFL crowd isn't representative, and I hope in general we're better than that. But that's got to be shocking, hearing that, hearing the booze on that. That, that had to be uh, a, real, a real shock and depressing, I imagine. Well, I will tell you that I, it was shocking. I, it was truly shocking to me. But I expect that we're going to hear this throughout every game in every city this year as far as the NFL goes, because I do believe that the NFL is much more conservative uh, than, you know, other sports. 
Lonnie, you brought it up. So let me ask you, um, did you watch it? Were you shocked? Um, what are your thoughts? Okay. You, you well, broke up, Beverly. We don't know who you're talking to. Okay, I'm sorry, Lonnie. You broke up. Your voice broke up. Yeah. Okay, Lonnie, I'm asking you since you brought it up. What are your thoughts? I was uh, I was very disappointed that it happened, even with the solidarity around this country. And and my point, Beverly, you know, everybody saw the George Floyd thing, which really started a, a movement. And the whole world even saw it. I got people from, from overseas saw the knee on George Floyd's neck. And you, you would have think they would understand. And for them to boo like that, um, I, felt, I felt it was disrespectful. But then again, I'm not really surprised that some don't feel that way, you know, feel, you know, you know, feel that way and everything. And I do agree. You're going to see probably some of it, especially in the NFL, now that they're allowed fans. Now the NBA's been doing it, and there was no, there was no controversy. NBA, Major League Baseball, the same thing, WNBA. But since the NFL allowed fans in there, they, you know they get to boo. Um, I, I, you know, I, I thought it was this, I just thought it was disrespectful. And do I think it's a reflection of white, of all whites? No, I don't. You know, I don't think I got sense enough to know that not all white people are racist. I got sense to to know that because I because I grew up with them in Canton, Ohio. So, but it, it is a disappointment. Even though they only had fifteen thousand fans at the game, that's that's how that's what I saw was just total disrespect. And it's nothing wrong with having unity. Now, if you don't have respect for unity, then I, I don't care who you are, black, white. I don't care if it's unity to a union or whatever it is. If you if you're against unity, then then that that's a reflection on you and your in your character. So that's I looked at it that way. So okay, all right, Vicky. Let me ask you. Um, I don't know if you are a football fan or if you even watch the NFL kickoff. You're breaking up, Beverly. Okay, but as a white person, um, how does that make you feel when you see a sea of white people in a crowd booing the idea of equality and justice for all? Vicki, how does that make you feel? Um, well, first of all, I'm from St. Louis, so I have a very low opinion of Kansas City anyway, um, and I'm not a football fan. When I heard about it, I was absolutely, my first reaction was I was mortified. I was mortified that people would actually Go to, they had to know there was going to be some kind of observance, right? Opening game of the season. They had to know something was going to take place. But they spent their money and they drove there and they parked their car and they went into the stadium and they did this. And on a very basic level, I look at these people like I look at toddlers having a tantrum. It's like they throw this tantrum to get attention, and they keep throwing them. And eventually, they get tired of throwing the tantrums and they stop. So that's why I think there's a little bit of hope is that eventually they will stop. What infuriates me about it is that 
These are grown-ups. These are not three-year-olds. And the hatred that comes from behind that has been so normalized now in the last few years and certainly in the last six months. It's been so normalized that people who don't behave like that are suddenly looked at as almost saint-like because they don't. And we're not saint-like, we're just normal people who don't have that kind of blind hatred. Okay, thanks, Vicki. Michael, let me ask you, um, did you watch the kickoff and what were your thoughts? Well, actually, I didn't watch it. I have been boycotting the, the NFL since, um, since uh, Colin Kaepernick, and I don't intend to watch it or go to a game until they do right about him. So I did see where, where they booed, and I'm afraid I have to agree with uh, Vicky. I think they're just, they're just a temper tantrum, and, and that eventually, uh, when, 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 when they have, right now we have leadership in this country that strokes that type of behavior. And when you have leadership that strokes that type of behavior, unfortunately, you have people that, that will respond to that leadership. And I think that's sad. I think that's an indictment on this country. And what can I say, you know? I think it was a terrible thing to do. I think they should be ashamed of themselves. And, you know, I know they don't represent the, the majority, but I do believe, as Lottie said, that the NFL is extremely conservative. And <laughs> the NFL needs a couple of lessons in diversity. Okay, thanks, Mike. Let me um, ask, I want to ask Brooks and, and um, Osha and uh, Patricia this question. So do you think that what happened in Kansas City is representative of an overall attitude? Because here's the thing, you know, people want to say, oh, President Trump is the one that's, you know, stoking the fuel, the flames of racism. Or was it always there? And he just allowed the box to open. So is it really all President Trump? Or is it really that is what is embedded in this country? Racism. So what do you say to that, Brooks? Okay, well then how about, uh, I'm not sure why, am I breaking up? Can you all hear me? Yes. Okay. No. So Miss, I missed a lot of that. All right, so you missed a lot of that. So um, my, oh, so I put this on my Facebook page and what I said was, you know, is the fact that racism already existed and was so deeply embedded in this country and we're all focusing on the fact that it's Donald Trump's fault and he's the one that's planning the few, uh, planning the uh, flames of racism. Which one is it? Was it always there? Osha. Well, I think you know that what I'm going to say, Bev, it's, it's, it's always uh, been there. Um, and it becomes more public sometimes, and then it recedes. But I think we're in, ex in an extremely dangerous time uh, racially in this country. 
Um, you don't need a majority of white people um, to support uh, the most heinous kind of crimes. Um, one stat I read recently was um, when Hitler became chancellor, he did it with 38% of approval. Um, so the, you just need enough people both um, actively supporting it and enough people sitting back, white people sitting back and not doing anything about it and allowing it to happen because it's not happening to them yet. Um, Good point. So the, uh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll just stop there. That's a good point. Uh, Brooks, what do you say about that? Is this all Donald Trump's fault or is racism really just racism deeply embedded in this system? I, I've been saying that um, Donald Trump is the apotheosis of the modern conservative movement. He is what they've been working towards for decades. Uh, he is, he's the symptom. He's not the disease. The disease goes back to Oh, 1619. Um, the fabric of America is dyed in racism and the blood of black people. It's, he's, hopefully he's the, the last inflorescence of, of the really powerful, uh, you know, the, the, the halls of power echoing with the hate and brutality. But um, he's, he's the result. He's, he brings it all to the surface. And maybe this is lancing a horrible boil. And that's a disgusting, horrible process that we have painful process we have to go through to deal, you know, have him be president. You know, for years I've said the Republican Party needs somebody like him in power just so the rest of us complacent white people can see how bad it is because white people are spoiled. White people are told that they are, get should have everything. And so you get the ones like in Kansas City who are angry that they no longer are the top of the heap. And it's like Vicky said, spoiled children. And you know the temp, the, you know, and they're painted into a corner. So they're, you know, uh, that core 30% of, of Americans, that half of, but it's half of white people, are um, resulted in Donald Trump. Okay. He didn't cause them. He's okay. the result of. Okay, thank you. And Patricia, let me um, get you to quickly respond and then I want to um, ask another question. Go ahead. Okay, um, I think Trump is the new great white hope and you know what happened to the last one. So I'm not too, too worried about that. But that's one reason why I think that the booing in Kansas City was great. Because uh, people like you and me, Beverly, I shouldn't speak for you, but I tend to be uh, when the, mo the white people that I know are the nice kumbaya, black power uh, type white folks, you know, sandals, you know, so I'll get along and everything's cool. And I thought it was great that people got to see just how ignorant um, many white people still are. Um, it lets, it reminds us of the work that must be done. It also reminds white people that um, it's up to them 
to uh, to encounter racism on their terms and to see if they could do something about it with their brethren because I can't enter your homes and tell you to, to like me. I don't care if you like me or not, but personally, um, yeah, it's up to, it's really up to white people. And this reminds them, reminds all of us that there's a lot of work to be done. So I thought that the going was great and also indicative of the fact that a lot of, apparently a lot of black people in that state refer to it as misery. <laughs> I saw you commenting on that on my uh, Facebook page, and I thought that was pretty funny. But, you know, I heard a commentator uh, this week say that people weren't necessarily loving Donald Trump for who he was, but they were loving the fact that he was sticking it to all the people they don't like. They don't like the progressives. They don't like blacks. They don't like Democrats. They don't like this. They don't like that. So the fact that he was championing through, or he was channeling their energy, that's what they love. It's not about Donald Trump. So I just thought that was very interesting as well. So let's just keep it moving here. And let's talk about the Black Lives Matter movement, another um, topic that uh, Lonnie brought up. And what do you think about that movement? The fact that, uh, is it an organization in your opinion? Um, is it a radical movement? Um, what is it? What, how do you classify it? And, and furthermore, I wanna talk about whites infiltrating the Black Lives Matter movement. Is that a good thing, a bad thing? Um, is it going to help us? Because Lonnie, as you, eloquently quoted Dr. King, the oppressed must demand change, but white people are not the oppressed. So what are they demanding change for? And will they really do anything to really further the cause of justice? Beverly, can I address that? Um, yes. You're cutting off on me here, but anyway, I think the Black Lives Matter can and should be a movement of a lifetime. Now, I know the Civil Rights Lat Movement um, lasted during the 60s, and it seemed like it died when Dr. King was assassinated. This is a different movement because we're in a different time right now. And and as far as, it, it must be a movement, but also must be a lifestyle for African Americans. And what we should do is embrace those who want to be a part of it, this could be uh, a, an avenue for racial reconciliation as long as the movement lasts for a lifetime. Because we cannot let what we stand for die. Because if we let it die, then there'll be social consequences if we let this die. If we let it die, we could, you know, we could have massive amounts of police brutality, you know, like we got now. And so it's got to come from a movement to lifestyle and let it be a catalyst for change on all levels, on all levels of demographics, all levels of our, our, of our society. It has to be a part of our society so that we can bring a change to bring something positive. And let me say one thing from a spiritual point of view, and I've been praying about this since the pandemic came out. I totally believe that a revival is gonna break out not only after this pandemic is over, but also 
it's going to break out all over the world. And I'm being positive about this. That's how I feel from a spiritual point of view and everything. And and um, I'm going to speak on that on my Facebook Live page later on. So stay tuned. All right. Thank you. Michael, let me ask you, are white people um, whitewashing the Black Lives Matter movement? Is this another form of gentrification? Well, I think that there are some that that is whitewashing it. I also believe that there are some that, that are taking advantage of it to do uh, diabolical things. But I'm also reminded that every movement of change in this country, uh, going far back, as far back as right after slavery and the Reconstruction, it all happened with, with, with uh, it had to take some white people to make it happen. Why? It, it didn't just happen because, because we basically this country, they are the majority, and, and, you know, I think a lot about uh, registering the vote during the civil rights movement, that there were, there were white people that lost their lives as well. You know, and I, I try not to forget that. I try not to forget that, that there are white people, you know, even in my own community, there are white people that I know love what Trump's doing. That then there's some in my community that hates what he's doing. So I'm, I, I look at it to say it's, no, yeah. I don't. I you know what can I say? I just think that uh, there are a lot of white people that that have been advocates for uh, for change. Okay. And, so, okay. So let me ask this question of one of our white guests here, um, and you know who wants to jump in? Fine. Can we move forward with this Black Lives Matter movement without white people? Can we get anything accomplished? Um, Go ahead, Brooks. I'll jump in. <laughs> Colonizing white guy. Um, it feels to me a lot like every pride parade I've marched in in the last 30 years where you're told by the greater society that your life doesn't matter, that you have no reason to be proud. When I was a little boy, I was told I should have everything, but I also knew as a little gay boy that I didn't deserve anything. So um, I think without straight people, we wouldn't have made the progress, you know, without straight allies. And sometimes they can be infuriating because they're colonizers. But at the same time, you need allies. So if white people, it's on white people to solve racism. They created, we created racism, we um, benefit from racism. And so if we don't do the work, then racism will not just magically go away. Um, but we need to be humble about that. We need to not come barging in and say, we have kumbaya, we have a solution. We need to be, you know, educate ourselves and allow ourselves to be educated to help our black brothers and sisters live full lives and know that their lives matter. 
as much as white people's lives matter. Okay, Pat, uh, Vicky, uh, Pat, then Vicky. Pat, can we get this done on our own? Do we need white people to help us march into Kumbaya and change uh, social justice, healthcare disparity? Do, can we do this on our own? Well, since we don't own uh, everything in the country, we don't run everything in the country, uh, yes, we're going to have to um, rely on the help um, and solidarity of the hip white people, or at least the white, the thinking white people. Um, hopefully we can leave the dummies behind in the dust as they continue to throw their tantrums. But um, for the rest of us, um, and, and of course, like I said, the thinking good white people, yes, we, I welcome, I welcome them because I, I know some of them who are in power and who are working, you know, uh, towards equality and they're hip people to know. I, I don't want that bond to be broken. I, I would like to see eventually all the hip people sticking together regardless of race. Okay, thanks Pat. Vicki? Um, I'd like to build on something that Brooke said. Um, a few years ago after the mass shooting at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, a friend of mine in New York helped start the first chapter of Gays Against Guns. And he invited me, I was in New York, and he invited me to what was their second meeting. And the first thing I said to him was, now, Ken, you know I'm straight. And he's like, we need you there. And I told him, I said, I'm glad to do whatever I can do as an ally, but this is your this is your organization. This is the LGBT community's organization. They wanted to start a chapter in Chicago. Politicians have said to me, let's set up a meeting. I'm like, I can't set up a meeting. I'm not, you know, the gay community has to do this. I'll support them, but I will not take a leadership position. The same goes for Black Lives Matters. I will support them in what any, whatever way they want me to support them. If it's through actions, if it's through what financial, whatever, I will do whatever I can do to support them because I believe in Black Lives Matters. I will not insinuate myself into these groups and try to take over, even though sometimes the lack of you know, Robert's Rules of Orders or something, you know, triggers me at times. It's like, you know, you should be doing this this way. It has nothing to do with them being black. It just has to do with them being my obsession about the way meetings are held. Um, but I'm glad to step back. I'm glad to step back and let the black community lead their own movement. I mean, why would I do otherwise? Well, because, well, okay, and, I, and I, I appreciate that very much. Pat, you want to um, chime in on, on response to what Vicki said? You're probably going to say the same thing I'm thinking, but go ahead. Probably not, but this is super quick. I do remember reading the autobiography of Malcolm X and how in um, one instance when they were protesting something, a nice white lady asked if, you know, what could she do? And he turned her away because she was white. And he admitted later that that was the wrong attitude to have, and I'll bow out. Okay, that's not what I was going to say, but okay. All right. <laughs> 
Osha, what are your thoughts? Uh, because, you know, we've um, kind of talked about this uh, as far as the way it's perceived in some um, segments of the Black community that once white people come in, they set their own agendas and then all of a sudden it becomes more to their liking than what Black people are actually trying to accomplish. What are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah and that makes sense that, that we would do that, white people would do that, um, just based on historical stuff. Um, but uh, following what Patricia, or endorsing what Patricia said about, yeah, well, who owns things? I mean, the ownership in this country, and as Michael said, the, the minority, the majority in this country is white. So, um, and someone else pointed out that, I think it was Brooks, that, that racism was created by white people. So it has to be fought and ended by white people. Um, one, uh, you know, I, I, as I said, I'm not terribly hopeful a lot of the time, um, but one positive thing was I just did a fundraiser for my podcast on reparations and it reached its thousand dollar goal in five days and all the donors were white. And that was very encouraging because um, most of the listeners of the podcast are black. And really what I set this up to do was to speak to other white people about it. So the fact that white people were donating for this made me feel encouraged. Um, uh, yeah, this is something that, that we need, we white people need to talk to other white people to get the message out and, and to call people out when other white people are saying and doing racist things. Um, it's easy to avoid those things. It's too easy because it's, it's uncomfortable to confront people. But the fact that black people have to confront white people is something that really humbles me that this is our responsibility. And so I do take that seriously of the, the main dialogue that I'm um, interested in, in doing is, is to work on white people and institutionalized racism. And the experts I interview on the, the podcast are 90 some percent black um, because that's who should be interviewed. But the, the people I'm trying to reach are white and I don't know if they're members of Black Lives Matter, but um, the black lives need to matter to white people regardless of whether they're in an organization or how they're doing it, but we, we need to, to be part of a movement um, in whatever way that ends the kind of injustices that we have. You said something interesting. I didn't know that uh, Black Lives Matter, you were had to be a member. I just thought that it was about, I'm just saying to you that my Black life matters. So correct me if I'm wrong, and I thought that I, I knew, but 
is this really a, an organization that's out there or are we just making a statement? Black lives do matter. Well, to the extent that it is just making a, a statement, that statement needs to be made by white people uh, and a commitment, more than just a statement, but in actions that back up because uh, it's too easy to put a hashtag Black Lives Matter and end your, your, uh, your movement there. Uh, I, as far as I know, I mean, I, I knew at the, at the beginning it was a, an organization. I mean, it was organized um, by a few people. Right. But as, as far as I know, I, I don't know that there's a, a, an actual membership group. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, Jeb. So let me ask you, what are your thoughts about this? Do we need a coalition of white yeah, people? It's funny. But you, yeah, I have to tell a story. Um, when you posted that at first on Facebook, I reacted. Um, I was angry. Um, yes, I saw and that. And you saw that. And, and I, I appreciated what you said back to me. It, it, it touched me. Um, this is no. This is not my claim to fame. Okay, I happened to. I happened to be the fifth, fifth great grandson of William Lloyd Garrison, who was an abolitionist, and um, he was the one who sort of mentored Frederick Douglass. In fact, Frederick, the first time Frederick Douglass got up to speak was at an abolitionist meeting, you know, run by run by William Lloyd, um, and so he sort of mentored. Garrison mentored Douglas until Douglas felt he had his own voice and his own priorities and his own things to say. And at that point, um, my great, great, great grandfather, however many there are, um, resented Douglas and they had a falling out. Now that was a long time ago, but this idea that white people know how this should be organized just like how everything else should be organized doesn't hold water anymore um i reacted angrily because you know i work pretty hard for our little organization in this county um getting people out every monday for moral monday um monitor you know getting the facebook page getting monitoring discussions uh and all of that, and we have an anti-racism program going on in this very white, rural, Republican county of ours out, out, out here in North Carolina. Um, so yeah, I wanna do my part, and I don't want, I, won't, I don't have patience, I guess, for any arguments saying you don't have a part, but I certainly can be more sensitive to the idea that this is, this is not my movement. I'm doing what I can. Um, but, you know, and, and if there are times I should shut up, even me with my big mouth, I try to do that. Try. You know, my great, 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 great grandfather was not good at shutting up. And maybe after this many generations in between, enough has sunk into my family where, where uh, you know, I can now say, tell me what to do. Tell me how to be useful, but I'm going to be involved. So just so use me, but I'm going to be there. So let me ask this question of uh, the white panelists. So you know that there is a faction out here who racist, uh, who are bigots, who are 
homophobics, et cetera, et cetera. How do you reach them? How do you reach them? Or do you even care to reach them because you just don't really want to deal with them? How do you do it? Okay, Osha. Uh, I, I don't have any magical answer and it, um, it's really frustrating a lot of the time, but um, th there are several different ways of doing it. I mean, one way is not being silent in a situation where those people are speaking um, their racism and or supporting things that are racist. So confronting those white people uh, is, is one way to do it. Another way, I mean, with social media is an important tool and it's for both good and bad. And so I use it a lot to both call people out, but you know, uh, so, so that racists know that there's a price to be paid in social discomfort for making racist statements uh, on social media, but also trying to be non-confrontational sometimes um, when I have the patience for it and just giving them the facts when they make statements that are are um, wrong and citing historical evidence. Because one thing as a, a writer of history that, that I found was we were, our education was so lacking in the true history of, of America and its founding on racism and how that works out today. Um, how it manifests today through institutional racism. So explaining it and, you know, 90, 80% of the time, I don't know, but the reaction from somebody is, is negative. You don't know what you're talking about, but there's an unseen audience um, in social media, especially on Twitter, uh, the one that I use the most, that you're not just speaking to the person you're, speaking to, if you've got a lot of followers, you're speaking to them, and you're also speaking to the followers of the person you're addressing. And I've got to feel, and I know for a fact, because I get messages back sometimes, that other people go, oh, I didn't know that. Other white people go, oh, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. So that's one way um, to, to do that for me. Okay, great. What about you, Vicki? I think the bottom line for me is that I have to be willing to be vocal and public about how I believe and how I feel. Not just speaking truth to power, but just when people People are not shocked by what they see on my Facebook page because they know that's how I am. You know, it's like they know me. And even a stranger coming on my Facebook page 
within about five or six posts will know exactly who I am. What I have found is that, you know, that can be a disadvantage. Um, that can also be a great advantage in ways that we don't know. Because like Osha said, there's a silent group out there. And so over the years, people have approached me one-on-one -on -one and privately, not just on social media, in person too. And it might be something like, my son just came out to me and I don't know what to do about it. I don't know how to feel. I don't know how to help him. What do I do? It might be someone who was just diagnosed with AIDS and has no access to services. It might be someone who's like, you know, I moved to this new town and I don't know what, I don't know anybody and nobody's like me. What do I do? You know, and if you establish yourself publicly as the person you are, mm -hmm. where your beliefs are out there all the time, you will attract people. Because the truth is, I don't think most people change their opinions on anything unless it affects them personally. Yeah. And until it's that son who came out, until it's that neighbor who said something awful to them, it doesn't, it doesn't resonate with them. It doesn't register at all. They're not challenged. And so that's, to me, that's the only way the change comes about is when when you are able to connect with someone whose eyes have been opened. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I will just jump in and say two things before I keep it going here. As far as um, the people behind the scenes, you know, and, and you being who you are on wherever social media platform you are, I've had white people who have sent me private messages who've told me that they learned so much from when they go to my page because they didn't know these things and they appreciate, you know, me saying what I say, which sometimes I wish they would be more vocal about it, but it is what it is. And second of all, I appreciate people like Jeb, who I knew you were angry that day that I posted that. I could tell it from the tone of how you responded to me, but I appreciated it because that said to me that he was willing to call me out for something that he didn't agree with. That told me more about him than any other post and anybody else that could any say about him in that moment. So that's what you look for. You do look for the transparency in people because that to me is how you grow and how you develop a relationship. So, okay, I just wanted to throw that in there. Um, Brooks, um, what are your thoughts about that? Can you, come on, yeah, there we go. Um, I am gonna reiterate briefly the um the fact that whenever you post something or say something at a party or whatever um you have to be mindful of the other people who are listening there's a the person that you're talking to who you may not you know i'm modest when i like i would talk to somebody that i may not be touching them but i may be touching other people i may be informing other people and i may be modeling behavior that i want to see and so I will be, try to be the white person who says something in public because I want other people to have the freedom to say things in public. And sometimes you have to be the, um, the wave crashing against the beach, the rocks, on the, you know, the, the rocks on the shore, that you know that I'm not gonna make any difference. 
with this thing I'm saying, but eventually you'll wear this down. And if nothing else, it'll become less socially acceptable for white people to say whatever horrible, ridiculous thing that comes in their head or straight people to say whatever horrible, ridiculous thing that comes in their head because, or misogynists, you know, all these things are, are linked together. And so my experience with all that is if somebody's racist, then they're going to be homophobic. They're going to be misogynistic I mean, very, very often. Or even if they're inter homophobia is internalized. So. Okay, Jeb, Jeb, let me um, ask you this question because, you know, we live in an open carry state. I don't know if you're aware of that. But do you fear that if you do, in fact, uh, try to express your thoughts um, and opinions that are different from someone else's, that you could become the victim of their rage. I mean, we know that, you know, there are white militias and they're, we know they're definitely in your area of, of North Carolina. Um, is that a fear that you have? That's, that's funny because uh, <laughs> there are times when, um, when I am in an altercation, and it's usually on Facebook, um, where Andrea, my wife, will say, Jeb, you know, tone it down. You know, you're, you're going to get yourself hurt. Um, I am not the bravest guy physically. I'm, I'm big, and that helps because, um, you know, people don't, people assume, I, I guess, that I'm maybe more able to defend myself than I really might be. Don't tell anyone. Um, but, um, but I don't, I, I do not let that shut me up. Uh, and it's not because I'm so brave. It's, it's this, I think it's this old garrison thing. You know, we just, I will be heard. That's his catchphrase. It's on the bottom of his statue in Boston. I will, I will not retreat a single inch and I will be heard. He said, um, I don't worry about the malicious. In fact, I'm mercilessly, I mercilessly poke fun at them. Um, you know, the Cletus uh, army, uh, you know, with their beers and their M16s out in the woods who couldn't organize a sandwich, much less a revolution. Um, if I get punched out someday, so what, you know? Um, I don't want to be killed because I've got two boys that I want to see have families and a lovely wife and a life, but no, I don't, I don't, I don't let it bother me. Maybe I'm just naively stupid about it, but I don't let it bother me. So is the Black Lives Matter movement worth dying for? Of course. OSHA? Of course. What, what, I don't want to die for any, anything, but, you know. Right. Uh, age, right. but I'm, I'm asking the question. So, you know, back in the 60s to, to gain freedom, a lot of, you know, many people died for the right to vote. So in 2020, is the Black Lives Matter movement worth dying for if it came to that? You don't have to answer it. You know, but my, my dad went about. Yeah, it's a good question. My, my dad in the 60s, my dad was, was a school, a history teacher and, and not stocky like me. Um, he went down south and helped people register. He, you don't let that fear of what's going to happen personally get in the way of doing what's right. It's much better to do what's right and take the consequences, I think. Okay. 
Okay, something to think about. All right, so I'm going to ask the Black panelists here a slightly different question. So according to another poll, of course, in 2016, Donald Trump got 8% of the Black vote. And in 2020, they're anticipating that that percentage is going to go up slightly to about 10%. Can you see any reason? Can you see any reason today why any black person should be supporting Donald Trump for president? Any reason? And I take the racism out. Look at his policies. Look at what he stands for: law and order, um, business. What do you see any reason that black people should be supporting him? And let's start with you, Patricia. What do you think? I'll keep it short. Heck like no. a deer with in headlights. <laughs> I'll keep it short. Heck no. I can see people. I mean, I, I once, um, when I was going to college in rural Alabama, um, I interned with a gentleman from um, the Northeast, I think Boston. And we were not supposed to be political at all, but he wanted to back a particular candidate because he was in support of credit unions. That's where I was entering with the Credit Union League of Alabama. And I said, oh, it's interesting. So what if you found out that this uh, illustrious gentleman who's you know, in favor of uh, credit unions, if he's also a horrible racist? And he stopped and he had to think about it. And he didn't answer. I said, I guess you've got to put business before what's right, but uh, that's something, you know, when you vote, I, I hope you vote the right way. And we left it at that. But he, he did look really thoughtful afterwards. I still don't know how he voted. So. Good point. Michael, can you see any reason today why anyone Black would support Donald Trump? Well, uh, I'm going to refer back to a New York Times article that was published long before Donald Trump even ran for president. Donald Trump has not successfully done anything. He's not, the only thing he successfully done, has done is, is road a, uh, a road, uh, a weakness of this country to the presidency. Now, that he successfully did. He's a master at, uh, at uh, what's the word? He's a master at, Manipulation, but that's not the word I'm looking for. But anyway, I don't see any. I don't see how anyone, black or white, think that Donald Trump is presidential in no way, shape, or form. I see nothing presidential about him. I saw nothing redeeming about him. Period. Uh, as a person, let alone a candidate. I, you know, he he wrote birtherism. To, 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 to success uh, uh, using the hate that people had in their hearts, uh, racial hate in their hearts. I mean, my God, if you really look at this guy, I mean, what can I say? I don't see anything that would make anyone support him. I mean, I'm just, I just think it's the craziest, and I think it's, it's an indictment on the education system in America. 
It's an indictment on so many things in America that's wrong that someone like Donald Trump, who has failed at every venture that he has tried and has wasted way more money than he's ever made, it's so much so that the banks in America wouldn't even give him any money. He had to go to Russia and he brought us into that mess. My God, how can anybody support Donald Trump? Anyone? It just doesn't make sense to me. You know, I don't see it. And any black person that supports Donald Trump is just oxymoronic. That's just how I feel. Okay. Well, tell us how you really feel, Michael. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. All right, Lonnie, what are your thoughts about That's how I really feel. <laughs> I mean, uh, Lonnie, now you're a spiritual man, so I know you saw him when he went to the church and he held that Bible up for all of us Christians to see. Wait a minute. Wait, to me, that was pure symbolism. And if you look at the symbolism, symbolism of all of this, you can't help but see evil in it. Now, I think anyone that has done any study at all on, in, in, in religion or, or uh, spirituality can see the crazy symbolism in what he does. That should scare the hell out of everybody. That's how I feel. Okay, okay let, me, um, let me say. From a spiritual perspective, where do you see this? Black people, you know, we, we tend to be faith-based. So can you see where we would support him? Absolutely not. Under no circumstances, I'll support Donald Trump. And I'm going to tell you why. There's a scripture the Bible says you can be so heavenly minded and no earthly good. Now, let me, let me talk reality here. President Trump's character and integrity has gone down the toilet even before he was elected because num number one, his policies are divisive and his policies are divisive. You look at his character in itself and with the Bible standing in front of that church, you have to look at what he did before that. You know, he, they, had, they had federal marshals that abuse the people, get them out of the way, and and they, uh, you know, they pretty much, you know, got the Black Lives Matter protesters out of the way by throwing tear gas so they can do a photo op in front of a church, which I was not impressed. I mean, Donald Trump really is the demonic, so you have to look at his his integrity, and his character, and, and and all that stuff. So I cannot see any way how any person other than Herschel Walker should support Donald Trump. And Hersh Walker is a football player in Georgia, out of Georgia and everything, you know, very popular if you're into sports and all of that. And so from a business, from, from a point of view, um, what he's done and what he stood for, he's just wicked. He's wicked and, 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 and everything. And, 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 this, and the Bible talks about people are being wicked. And if you go to Proverbs, it says that when the wicked are no longer in power, the city rejoices. And so the days that we elect Biden, I believe it's going to be a, a great rejoicing that we restore integrity to the Oval Office, integrity to the executive branches of the federal government, along with the other people that are wicked. And so um, I, I, I don't see anybody, any person, to support this man for another four years as president is president of the United States because we need some integrity. We need some decency because, and I see wicked people 
in, in the church. I've seen wicked people. I've been around pastors who are wicked. And so I've been in ministry, Beverly, for about 25 years now and, and, and everything. And, and I've seen a lot. And even Dr. King spoke out against wicked, you know, about spiritual wickedness in high places. So I say do, I say under no circumstances I see African Americans supporting uh, this uh, this this president and and everything and some of the evangelical church churches can be wicked too but that's another subject I won't get into that right now okay because I got some stronger strong opinions about that so I so, think we all do no way I think we all do and um, I just want to go on record saying that personally I, I while I do believe that. Uh, Joe Biden is a man of integrity. I'm just not very impressed with the slate. And I do believe that, uh, you know, it's for me, it's choosing the lesser of two evils. That's the way I see it. That's just my own personal opinion. Um, but I do think that there needs to be some type of revamping of this electoral system, the electoral college, um, so that we have a better opportunity to get candidates who have a uh, more of a uh, of an appeal to all of us. And Patricia, you wanted to say something to that effect? Just real quick, um, believe it or not, I, I don't want to call out any names, but there is a little band of uh, black folks here in Durham who wanted who wanted want to vote for Trump. Um, I don't want to describe them because I don't want them to recognize themselves, but they are extremely, I don't mean to be derogatory, but extremely ghetto. And, and I, I don't mean, I'm not trying to be, you know, insulting, but they're extremely, extremely, extre I'm not going to, again, they are in favor of Trump because after all, nobody else sent the money, but he did. And I'll leave it at that. I don't okay, know. Okay, okay, okay. I gotta say something. Uh, can I say something, please? Please go ahead. Okay. I, I'm not gonna call any names either. But if you really, really, really want to talk about if you can sell yourself that cheaply, then you deserve what you get. That's all I have to say. That's a very good point. Okay, well, on that note, I don't think there's anywhere else to go with this. But I do want to um, give everyone to give a closing thought. So if you will take the next um, 60 seconds or so and just give a, whatever it is that you want to say. You want to promote yourself. You want to appeal to the American public. Do you just want to give a rant? Whatever it is you would like to say, um, I'd like to do that in the last uh, few minutes that we have. So okay. let us start with uh, Vicki. Yeah. Um I don't know if it's a rant, I would just say these conversations are really important and they can be really uncomfortable and you might get defensive, but that just means you should keep doing them. So seek out conversations like this, start conversations like this. That's it. Okay, thanks Vicki. And you know, you'll always be on my list of people that I want to participate. <laughs> Lonnie, closing thoughts? Lonnie, did I freeze up? Lonnie, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, you froze a little bit, but, but I understand what you're saying. Okay, I want to make an appeal 
about I'm about voting. I know that um, each one, you know, by is lesser of two evils. Remember, you made a good point. And um, and 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 and, and here's, here's what I want to say. Regardless of how people feel about each candidate, regardless of the situation, and we have to go out and vote like it's no tomorrow. Because our democracy is at stake right now. Our democracy is at stake right now because we got to restore some sort of integrity. Um, we have a president that does not take these this office seriously. He's treated this office like a reality show. They think that the coronavirus is a joke. They made a mockery out of it. While 192,000 people now are dead across the United States of America, the epicenter of the world, we cannot travel to several countries. It is time for change. And so sitting out this election should not be a option. I want to urge everybody to get out and vote. And I mean, get everybody who is not registered to register today. Verify your registration. I encourage everybody to vote early because what they did with the post office and taking down the machines was absolutely criminal. And so I want to urge everyone to cast, you know, to cast your ballot. Let your voice be heard. Now, I lived in John Lewis's district, you know, John Lewis who passed away. I've met him a couple of times. And so it's time to, and he fought on Bloody Sunday, got his head bashed in. And there were some white people out there on Bloody Sunday in Selma, Alabama. And so I am urging everyone to please, let's take some action here. It's, it's good to, to march and protest and all that. But it's, now, now is the time to act. And so get out to vote, you know, is, you know, they're early voting, but let's vote in record numbers. Okay. Let's, and one last thing I'm going to say, it is time out for making excuses, but it's time to make it happen. Okay. Beverly? Thank you, Lonnie. All right, Brooks, closing thoughts? Unmute. Oh, 40. <laughs> people need to get their together. <laughs> my, my, my closing statement from last time, more than ever. And the Thor's honest truth is I'm afraid that between now and the end of the year is going to get ugly. Like a, a degree of ugly that we have not seen in this country in a long time. And I'm hoping that it is the fever, the, the cytokine storm that um, will bring clarity and, you know, to our country. But um, I'm, I'm worried because the Trump's defenders are half of white people and they are backed into a corner and they are going to be dangerous. And they are all going to vote. Every single one of them is going to vote. And so every single one of us has got to vote. And 
you know, am I happy about Biden? Good Lord, no. But it's the, it's not even the lesser of two evils question. It's the public transportation. Is this the bus that I want that'll get me to directly to my house? No. But it's the, the bus that'll get me to the bus that'll get me to a block from my house. And so I take this bus. And I, I don't remember where I saw that analogy, but I love it because yeah. it's, a, it's incremental. It's a step in the right direction. And um, right now, half the country is moving in the wrong direction. So, Imua, All forward. Right. <laughs> Thank you so much, Brooks. Jeb, closing thoughts? Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna use the same um, that same great analogy about the bus that uh, that Brooks just did. Um, yeah, as soon as we hang up, I'm uh, I'm gonna start uh, my call list of black voters um, through the NAACP to make sure they're registered, to make sure they're planning to vote if they haven't voted absentee already. Um, I, I, it's. Um, so anyway, everybody, yes, we, have, we all have to do our part, however we can, to get the vote out. Um, on a personal level, as usual, um, it just, these conversations mean a lot to me. I feel like I've got, how many are there, nine friends, uh, some of whom I know, I, I've seen before. Uh, some, of, some of you guys, Michael and Osha, are new to me, but um, it's so good to know that you've got allies out there that um, that uh, that we listen to each other, that our stories hopefully mean something, and uh, I'm touched as always by the conversation, and I thank all of you and Beth, especially for organizing it. Thank you, and I appreciate the fact that every time I call on you and OSHA, you guys always come to the rescue. All right, and uh, speaking of OSHA. You're on. <laughs> well, first, I, I want to say amen to what Brother Lonnie was saying about voting, that, it, that it's important. Um, and I guess I have, uh, oh, and, and thank you, Bev, for hosting these, these talks. I find them personally very valuable also. Um, and for everybody else who's, who joins in these. Um, I guess I, I wanna just say I, I have two really big fears. And the biggest one is that Trump will be reelected. That's a nightmare scenario in my mind. So I'll do everything I can to work against that. But I, I do have this other lesser nightmare that people, and especially white people, will think if Biden is elected that the fight is over. We're done. Everything's going to be fine. Um, and I really believe that is what will happen if Biden is elected. Uh, white people will forget about Black Lives Matter and all of that. Um, so what I hope is that if Biden is elected, that people will be, um, yeah, I agree, Lonnie, God forbid, but he got elected once, so he may be elected a second time. But if Biden is elected, I just would encourage 
other people to all the fights that we saw with the rise of Trump that were actually symptoms of an underlying system of racism and inequity, social injustice, homophobia, and misogyny throughout the country. Those battles don't end when Trump leaves office. He was a symptom and he was also a symptom that was a cause of a lot of problems. Once he's gone, those problems will, will be maybe buried a little bit, but we have to continue the fight. And I know I, I, know I will. I, I'm devoted to doing that. Um, so thank you again, Bev, and thank all of you for, for joining in this. Uh, it's, it's a valuable thing. And I do want you. you to plug your podcast because if you have not had a chance to listen to his podcast, even if you don't listen to all of them, you've just got to listen to a couple of them. They are so good and so educational. So if you will just go ahead and, and um, tell us how we could tune into your podcast, Osha. Yeah, it's called The American Project. And it's on Spotify, on iTunes, um, or you can go directly to the website where I have a lot of photos and background information, um, um, which is theamericanproject.us or us. Very good. Um, thank you. Thank you, uh, Beth. Uh -huh, you're welcome. Pat? Okay. Uh, I'm not necessarily confident, but I am very hopeful that things will work out if everybody comes out to vote. Um, this is what I call the post-reconstruction -re era. So it's extremely volatile, very dangerous. As you know, after the first reconstruction era, that was when the KKK was formed and other you know, atrocities were, anyway. So I'm very, very hopeful that we will all come out to vote. The biggest difference between the um, well, the, to me, the biggest difference is that Black people and other folks have the power to be represented and to vote. Um, so I do hope that uh, we take advantage of that. I do hope that people, I, I already see people celebrating Biden's win. Uh, remember when Humphrey, um, that newspaper article that, you know, that proclaimed him the winner and then they had to rerun the uh, the whole newspaper because he hadn't won. Right. Went to bed. Went to bed ahead of the the pack. Awoke to tragedy. So we can't celebrate just yet. We actually have to do the work. We actually have to vote. And tomorrow's show, I mean Monday's show, will be focused on voting. I'll have someone from the Board of Elections on a Bull City Hangout uh, on Monday at noon. Okay, very good. And yes, and so you can connect with uh, Patricia on Facebook. She does uh, goes as the Durham Skywriter, and she does a live uh, broadcast every day, which I've had the pleasure of being a part of, and uh, get, gives you all information that you can use locally as well as beyond. All right, thanks, Pat. And last but not least, Michael. I, I, well, let me start off. I'm going to ask a question. Patricia, I missed all your information about how to look at your, uh, how I can, uh, I, I can, I can see your podcast. Now, can you give me that information first? Oh, please. Uh, okay. Um, I have a daily show 
on uh, Facebook Live and YouTube. So you can go to the Durham Skywriter, follow that Facebook page. And I invite people to hop on. You don't have to be in or from Durham. The news is locally focused, but when people uh, drop in to, to chat, they're from all over the place. Right. Okay. So, um, yeah, so I welcome all of you. Not the same day, <laughs> but, but mon like I said, Monday we'll be talking about voting because even I haven't voted yet because I'm actually very nervous about absentee um, voting. And I actually invited someone from the Board of Elections to allay my fears because I'm very worried. So I don't know what to do. So I, I just want to see what this person has to say. And hopefully, if my fears have been quashed, and hopefully everybody's fears will be, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Okay. Okay, thank you. Okay. Uh, I want to say, first of all, I want to say this to Beth. I really appreciate you uh, doing these uh, conversations on race. Uh, I am... I am an advocate and I'm an activist in my own community. Um, and I have been involved in several conversations in my community about race, but none of them were honest like this. And so I greatly appreciate the first one I saw, I thought, wow, they're being honest. And so that's why I was really happy that you invited me to join because it's, it's a wonderful thing to be able to, to speak and speak honestly about how you feel about race. And I agree with, uh, what's her name? I think it's Vicki. I agree with Vicki that these are conversations that definitely need to keep, we need to keep happening. And we need to keep having these conversations so that we can help the youth of today transition to a better society. I, I do believe that, uh, as Patricia said, that we are at a point, uh, Barack Obama represented the fact that a black man could be elected president. And that created a negative um, reaction that allowed Donald Trump to take advantage of racism and hate to get what he, and he has studied it well to get where we are today. And I do believe that it's going to get more dangerous. And I think that we have to be vigilant and, and watching everything at this point because I do believe some, we haven't seen the, the evil that we are going to see in the next couple of months. Uh, I, I also am reminded that when we were in elementary school, they told us that the, the statistics, the, the racial statistics in this country would change. So we've known for the last 50 years that this change was coming. But when you start taking money out of education, then this is where we get. Because we have constantly watched over the last 10, maybe more years, them consistently taking money out of things that, that, that would make us a better society. Uh, I looked up Barack Obama, I'm gonna shut up in a minute. I looked up Barack Obama and the things that he had done over 
his presidency. Those things could have made us one of the greatest countries to ever exist. But all of those things, they have, they have uh, taken away and they have pretty much stopped. I, I think that to, to when you, we are at a time where we, when you corner a poisonous snake, that snake is coming out that corner one way or another. I think we're at a time where we have seen, uh, I'm just going to say it, we have seen, well, white men has basically controlled everything. Well, now they have to share that power. And I think we're at a point where they would, they would rather destroy it than share it. And I think that's where we're at. And I think that that's, that's the evil and, and the things that we have to watch out for. That, that, that we're at a crazy time and, and we're at a time where, you, just like uh, uh, Patricia said, right after uh, uh, the first reconstruction, the, the Ku Klux Klan came up and they came. And now right now we have these, what they call the far right and, and, and they're coming armed but what they're forgetting that other folks are armed as well. And, and we should not have to go there. We should not have to go there. It's time for us to just do what's right. My God, there's never been a country that has been so blessed as the United States of America. It's time for us to recognize those blessings and be better, be better. And we cannot be better by marginalizing people or letting folks think, just because they're poor or just because they're gay or just because they're whatever it is that they're second-class citizens they are not and they never will be we have to do better we have to do better i'm surprised because i thought we were better but with this with donald trump going into the white house i realized we not we were not what i thought we were but I do believe that we have a chance to be what we can be the shining example on the hill. We can be that, but we can only be it by, by actions. And we have to stop folks stealing. All of us pay taxes. So we got to quit acting like we're the only ones to pay taxes. And, and, and so we don't have to recognize the fact that, that they pay taxes too. This is crazy. It's crazy. Okay. Information is, is available to us at the touch of a finger. So we have to take advantage of that. And then we got to educate and we got to really educate. And, and, and we can't sit on the sideline. The time for sitting on the sideline is over. It's over. We have to take a side. We have to take a side. And thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I greatly appreciate being part of this. There's nothing else I can say after that. You guys have just really said it all. Only thing that I want to leave you with is thank you so much for continuing to engage in this dialogue. And I encourage you to continue, as John Lewis said, Congressman Lewis said, keep getting in good trouble. So have a great rest of your day, folks. And thank those of you who will be tuning in. And I welcome your feedback here on Facebook. Take care. Um, not Facebook, actually. It's YouTube. Bye-bye, everybody.